do we want to do this? Hey! We're two sisters. By marriage. Who love to talk about stories. From writing fiction and creating elaborate plotlines in D&D. To forging magic items that will make your players feel like fucking heroes. We're, We're out of initiative. Um, today we are joined by, like, the most special guest. Like, I don't want to say, like, a very special guest because this is the most special guest. Your brother, my spouse, everyone's favorite DM, at least who's played with him, Isaac. Dr. Osmosis. It's me. It's the reason you're related by marriage. This is why we're related by marriage. Yeah, this is the one. I feel so so honored. We're honored to have you here. Welcome. Um, we invited you, Isaac, to talk about magic items today because um, you and I have spent many, 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 many hours uh, crafting magic items for our two concurrent campaigns. And we just wanted to talk about, like, how, how, how do we do this? And, and why? And why? Because there are plenty of magic items, and yet here we are. Um, but you're kind of often the sort of starting point for us, and uh, you also kind of bring it home. You kind of keep me... Uh, grounded as we're making these items so um yeah magic yeah yeah absolutely i i i would say sometimes i keep you grounded but sometimes you just gotta get a little bit crazy you know um okay so look magic items are an important part to many campaigns we run a couple of pretty high magic D campaigns and magic items are i don't want to say it's what makes the campaign go but it like kind of is um because everybody wants to like wield a plus two sword but like that's kind of boring wouldn't it be cool if it was like a plus two sword that when i held it up to the sky during a storm it happened to call lightning on my enemies like i just think that sounds great so you got a pen or something you want to get started on these notes or maybe isaac you could tell us a little bit about your logic when you're putting together a magic item like where do you start and what's the end goal well i think that there are a couple places that you could start from um, the most common ones for me are either a cool idea I had, usually stolen directly from pop culture, um, or from someone else's creation. Um, and, uh, I will take a moment to note that the addendum for most of this talk is going to be, this is discussion around home games, where... You know, it doesn't matter quite so much that you properly attribute every single source for your items, although you should. But if you're streaming or recording these sessions to to post anywhere, make sure that you record that you attribute where you've gotten your ideas from. So usually it's I've stolen it from somewhere, and then I start with that, or I start with a player need that I want to fulfill. Um, for example, a healer that wants to be better at healing. And I start from there and work up from that starting point. Speaking of a healer who needs to be better at healing, I'm really curious from a player perspective, Sarah, because you also have DM experience, but I think that you've received more magic items than you've created at this point. Probably. Is that about the right balance? Yeah, I I was thinking before we decided to do this subject, I was trying to think of how many magic items I had homebrewed. Um, I think it's only been two um with curse of strahd there are magic items already in the module that i have given to the players i've given most not all um pretty early on 
Um, Because we knew it was going to be kind of a shorter campaign. So I wanted to give them kind of early on. But there's still a few, um, which was really fun. I really liked reading about these magic items that were meant for the module. And I um, definitely feel like kind of inspired, like when I do homebrew eventually, um, making it specific to like certain, you know, goals and stuff that are going to be down the line. But yeah, I've only ever made two. Um, one of them I actually found on, on D&D Beyond. Someone else had homebrewed something similar. And that's always great because you can always like take from that um, someone's homebrew of homebrew. Um, and then I made made that. So yeah, that's really, I've only made two. I want to make more. I think it'd be fun. But um, to be honest, it's a little intimidating when you look at like all the different like modifiers and all the different ways it stacks. I know the one, oh my gosh, Isaac, that one you made me um, for Ruby, that Ember of Hope. It's, uh, I need a manual. Like there's so much with it. And so, I mean, it's fun, but it's just, I need to, I have to like read through it all. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is always a challenge when, when making magic items is that you want it to be cool and do stuff. But if it does too little, then you don't want the player to think it's boring. But if it does too much, like the item I made for you, then you end up sitting there for three minutes every every round in combat just trying to figure out what part of the item you want you want to make. And I what I really like about it is I can use it as a weapon if I need to. Like if I don't want to use the magic at all, I can still because it's a flail. And so I could use it as a weapon or I can use it for different magic things. I And I think that's with magic items. I think that's so cool is when you have multiple uses. Um, so like one magic item that I just recently got um, was the um, a movable rod. And I know a lot of people have like this Same. amazing genius ideas what to use with it. And it just feels so specifically like one thing, like you need to lock a door or you need to like pencil. I don't know. I just feel like I, I know it's probably got a time and place, but it just feels so limited. Like there's nothing else. You can't really use it for a weapon. It can't really help you fly or heal anybody or whatever. So um I think it's cool, but it's just, I don't know. I just don't know if I'll ever use it. I think one thing with magic items that like I would advise any DM, because you never want to build something that's just going to like totally derail your campaign and like put your players in a position where they can just waltz through all the dragon fights. But at the same time, when you have a magic item and a player with a creative idea, I'm of the mindset that, like, why the heck not? Like, let's do it. If they want to slap that immovable rod into the belly of a dragon because somebody got eaten and they're going to dimension door their way back out, why the heck not? Like, let's let that happen and see what plays out. I just think that it, like, leaves a lot of room for really, uh, just, like, some really interesting uh, role play. So, Isaac, when you're creating an item, I want to know, do you typically start from something that's already created or do you prefer to start from... Uh, absolutely nothing, just what the player needs or what you think the player needs. Um, uh, so in general, how I've made most of my items is I've started from what I think the player needs or um, often I'll ask the player. Like, I mean, DMs, please, dear God, talk to your players. Uh, <laughs> that's just general advice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you and like part of my joy in, in DMing is coming up with things that surprise and delight my players. So there's this fine line where, you know, you can ask your players uh, general questions like, um, you know, I one of one of our players is a barbarian who is interested in um, 
uh, you know, magic items, and he has a lot of fun with things you give him. Um, and he came to me. Uh, this was a wonderful example of a player coming to your DM. Players, please talk to your DMs. Uh, and he said, I want to use two-weapon fighting, which is often not a very efficient use of a barbarian skills, but he wanted to have fun with it. Like, why not? So he said, I want to use two-weapon fighting. Like, how do how do I do that? How, like, what, what am I supposed to do? And like, you know, had some recommendations on, like, you know, items he could look for. Um, and I took that and I, I went back and I looked at, you know, ways I could maybe enhance one of his weapons so that it was um, better at two-weapon fighting. Um, a better weapon in general to try and supplement his two-weapon fighting. And so you can start from something like that, where your player comes to you with a with a need, and um, I gave them essentially a flame-tongue hand axe, which I believe is not necessarily a standard item, but it was just all the rules of a flame-tongue weapon, but slapped onto a hand axe. So that one was extremely easy. Um, it was a little bit more complex like that, because I made it even more complicated by putting it onto a band that you can affix to a weapon and make any weapon a a flame tongue weapon and that was mostly because i wasn't sure who in the party was going to have it and i wanted to make it uh, i just wanted to give someone a, a flame tongue weapon that ignited in fire and looked cool and was fun so i i just made it into a band and when affixed to a weapon it made that weapon a flame tongue weapon um so that was a pretty simple one um and uh some of them i start from the ground up um, like with the Ember of Hope, um, a lot of that was just spent in um, the the Ember of Hope for the audience is a uh, flail that I made specifically for uh, Sarah's character in my campaign, Ruby, who is a cleric of light who worships the goddess Lyra. And uh, it's specifically a flail that uh, gives you bonuses to your attack damage, pretty standard plus one weapon. Um, but it also has some fun things like um, it uh, lets you roll max damage or max healing, not damage, <laughs> healing. <laughs> when you when you heal a creature um, once per shorter long rest. And then uh, so so that was uh, designed in car rides with Morgan often. We ride a lot uh, of stuff in the vehicle just driving across yeah. the state. And uh, I mean, like the the best if you don't have if you're not if you're not as fortunate as I am to have someone to bounce all of your ideas off constantly, just make a draft and send it to your character, uh, send it to your player, give it to your player in game. And then again, talk to your players, let them know this is a draft. I have like these concerns about it, but I want to play with it and see how it goes, because the first draft of Ember of Hope was four times as complicated as it is right now. <laughs> It, it had like terrifying, very complicated yeah. already. Yeah, uh, it had it had like a attack mode and like a healing mode, and you had to like turn on one mode or the other. And each mode came with like a, a like flavor description, and it had each mode had like an aura around you that would do things, and each mode had like a different things that it would do when you hit it, and it was just like way too complicated. So um, I boiled it down to what the player actually asked me for, which was, I want to heal better. And uh, this party is lucky enough to have two healers. Um, it's got a, a, cler a full cleric. And then uh, Morgan's character is a divine domain sorcerer, who um, is a lot of fun to play as well, and often ends up in 
way too many shenanigans. Um, but what I was noticing was the Divine Domain Sorcerer um, did exceedingly well at healing multiple people through twinning, cure wounds, stuff like that. Um, and so I didn't want to step on too many toes, um, be, which is always hard when you have two healers and want to give away one healing item. So instead, what I did was I focused on Ruby as a single target, large volume healer. Um, so she can go up to someone and she can, you know, third level cure wounds and max the dice out and just completely restore the barbarian up to full hit points. Whereas the sorcerer would need to spend multiple spell slots to get them up there. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what I focused down on. I removed all the like weird damage stuff. Um, because it had like you doing like fire damage if you were within like five feet of an enemy and like you never you never get up that far i you try just, not like, to i try yeah, not to you like <laughs> shooting off stuff and healing people so i'm like you want to heal let's just do the healing part um and then i i felt like um it needed something else so i used one of my favorite tricks which i will recommend to anyone which is if you want to give your magic item a little bit extra something um or the item to do. I think it works best with a weapon, but um, pick a spell. Just give it a give it a free casting of a spell. Um, I gave this one color spray because that sounded fun and thematic for a light cleric Pretty. who's all about doing fire damage. But also, I wanted to build on the like warding flare ability where you can you know momentarily blind someone. So uh, uh, the the color part of color spray. Sounded a little bit off, but um, the blinding someone was a was a good effect. I I felt so. Um, it can cast a uh, color spray as a second level spell, and um, it lets you do it as a bonus action because I think that color spray is a pretty underused spell. Um, and uh, it's just something something fun and extra that the weapon can do. I made I made another hammer, and I wanted a little bit extra something for it to do, so it can you can strike the ground and cast thunder wave with it. So slapping a, a lower level spell um, onto a um, lower level magic item, uh, I feel like gives it a little bit extra pizzazz uh, and is really easy to do and pretty easy to balance as well because you can kind of look at the um, spell levels of the character um, or similarly leveled character and kind of choose from those lists. I, I really like too what I appreciated was um, with the color spray. Like Ruby is you know all about light and love and you know you didn't pick a spell that was just like something horrible like necromancy or something you know what i mean something like inflict wounds yeah or like acid damage or something like that wouldn't fit her like that wouldn't be her at all and so color spray does it's kind of like a you know it does assistance it helps it, it does damage but it also blinds like but it's not like grotesque or anything that wouldn't fit her kind of style. And I think I love that. That was just so personalized just for her. Um, and I know you've done that with, with the other uh, characters too, the other players, like their stuff is just so specific to them. I just love it. Cause it's like, that's unique. That's the only weapon like that in the world. And um, it's just great that it's just so targeted for that individual character. I just love that. Yeah. That uh, the same barbarian that I, I, I ended up with the flame tongue hand axe is an uh zealot barbarian uh scourge azimar yeah scourge yes uh he has the radiant consumption where he you know can activate it and it like deals damage to him and creatures around him and it's not that ability is not terribly strong it's it's guaranteed damage which is pretty strong in fifth edition 
Um, but especially it, for a barbarian because it keeps you in a rage. Yeah, because yeah. he's dealing damage to himself, mm-hmm. and uh, um, but he he is very much a kind of like ah wild card <laughs> throws himself into 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 shit and and likes to stir the pot. Um, so he loved doing his radiant consumption. He was leaning whole hog into it. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Um, you know, negate some of those same uh, downsides because he was really enjoying the downsides. Um, but he was also really concerned about people around him getting hit by the radiant consumption damage. It also is an action to activate, which is a giant waste of a barbarian's turn if they're spending their first turn every single combat. Action, radiant consumption, bonus action, rage, and they sit there with their thumb up their ass. Um, so I gave him an, uh, uh, essentially bracers of defense is I think what I based it on. I started with, I wanted a little bit to his AC because he was, um, uh, not focusing on his decks or constitution for role play reasons and wanted to focus instead on his two weapon fighting. And I wanted to reward that. I didn't want to penalize him for, for not taking the, the optimum stats. So I bumped his AC a little bit. It's like a mantle. It has like an open front. He's, he's very flowy and naked most of the time uh so it's like a it's like a mantle like vest and um it lets him activate his radiant consumption as part of entering a rage because like that makes sense like he enters his rage and his radiant consumption is part of it so um i let him do that and then i also gave it um your allies have immunity to the radiant consumption damage uh he still takes damage from it um he's already resistant to it because he's an azamar but it just let him do what he wanted to do more. Uh, he wanted to be on fire and uh, rage into the middle of enemies. And so I just I just fed off of that and gave him that item. So when it comes to like if there's a magic item, say, that you've come up with um, and you want to give it to your players, but you don't. I mean, do you always make them specific or do you just sometimes like this is just fun. Someone needs to have this. Both of you, I guess, Morgan and yeah. Um, if you do come up with something like that, how do you, how do you usually like get it into the campaign? Do you like to sell it? Do you like them to find it? Do you like? Is it a reward for? I mean, I want to hear Morgan's answer to this one. I'm specifically with a specific character in mind, a specific specific player and or character in mind, um, because I think that that character will have a lot of growth with it or will be able to use it or the player will have a lot of fun with it but there's always the risk that another um player is gonna see the stat sheet and go oh that's cool i'll look oh like i picked it up i'll keep it uh and i find that deeply problematic because if i've got something that's so optimized for the bard and uh, someone else who also has charisma is like, oh, this works really well for me. It really works with my stats. Like, yeah, but that's not what I had in mind. It- it's twofold. One, I have to let it go, right? Like as a DM, like it's just not going to go the way you always want it to. And two, I find that when I have a specific outcome that I want for an item. Um, so for instance, um, you know, I wanted our rogue to have this bow. He's the only one who can wield it. You know, you can do like you try to attune, but you fail. Um, That's kind of a cop out, though. I think uh, so. Instead, what I did was it was like the item looks like something he would wield. And, uh, you know, it comes to him in a dream or like specifically the character you want to have it is the one who finds it. Like that's pretty easy to um, muscle in. 
you know, does it, if it comes to him in a dream, then, you know, he's going to wake up with it. He's not going to give it to someone else because you don't like find an item in a dream and then like pass it off to the barbarian. Like that doesn't make any sense. So typically, typically, <laughs> no. typically yeah. Yeah. Um, but there have also been a lot of magic items that I've thrown out in that group that I didn't customize that I was like, ooh, I think that this would work really well for the druid, now ranger. Uh, you know, this will work really well for the ranger. And then, like, the rogue picks it up and, like, really likes it and has never used it. But, like, okay, like, sure, like, that's where it is now. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I, I feel like that happens a lot where, like, I'll drop a magic item and be like, oh, so-and-so is going to really love this. Or like, here are a couple of magic items. These two could go to anybody, but this one I really hope ends up. And then someone else picks it up and they use it or they don't. And then we move on with our lives because like they've got so many magic items, at least the party that I'm running, they've got so many magic items. You guys don't know what to do with yourselves. And I think that that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you, you also tend to send us magic items with fairly niche uses, which I think are some of the most fun yeah. magic items. Um, and so like, if we, if we don't use it one session, our memories are so bad and we just forget <laughs> that it's there. I've got like a box that I can wind up and if someone gets close, it'll bark and I just, I just never used it. Yeah. And that's also a module item, which I think is, um, you know, not like not very bad, exciting. This is a bad so, example. Sure. What's yeah. funny though, is your cost, you've got a couple of custom items, um, your character in particular, Isaac uh has a couple of custom items that i was like uh you know i made these or we made them together and i was really happy with where we landed and you just never use it um because either your fighting style just like didn't lend to that and so then it's up to me to like long term do i want to respect this um do i want this item to change while it's in your possession do we want something else to happen to make this more valuable or is it just like a cool thing you've got in your back pocket and it's your dust of deliciousness that you're going to sprinkle on something when i least expect it like that's an option from like a player standpoint just stumbling upon a magic item i know like if we find a chest or something and we dig out all the magic items the role play perspective like for example we just found some boots that have like winter protection or cold cold resistance give you cold and, resistance yeah yeah cold resistance and they like discussing amongst the party in character, who's going to wear these? What are they going to look like? Or I have like, um, my one character has the goggles of night. And, you know, we take our watches and we pass those back and forth. I just love that role-playing aspect. So having like the one, the one item specifically for you is great too, but having, and you have to understand too, like some of these are really, really valuable items. So the fact that like we're trusting another party member with this, you know, whatever it is, a weapon or something. I mean, that's just, that's just such a bonding experience too. Like just to role play, you have something so valuable or useful and you're, you're, I trust you to use this or I, I think you need this. And it's kind of like a gifting. I just love that part too. So just like stumbling upon or finding stuff too. That way is great. The thing is that any point in time you could custom make a magic item or hand pick a perfect magic item out of the entire rules is written list um you know some book somewhere and you've got the perfect item and you hand it over to the party and they go oh this is going to be worth so much money i'm finally yeah. going to be able to buy a bag of holding and could turn around and sell it yep. and like you kind of as a dm like you just have to be prepared that like they are humans who are interacting with your game and you guys are collab like collaborating on this story and they're it's not going to go the way you expect. Um, you can anticipate like, oh, I know that this character likes to be shirtless. So this 
mantle makes a lot of sense for him. But like at the end of the day, like you don't like he might give up his religion and sell all of his magic items off. And then now you're, you know, square zero again, trying to like and, and you just have to not take it personally. Yeah, as a, as a DM, um, you, you should really focus on um, pulling your fun out of making the magic item um, and uh, try and find ways to refrain from having your fun be dependent on your players enjoying mm-hmm. it. Because I mean, they're they're people. Sometimes sometimes they're not interested. That's fine. Um, and if you if you spend a lot of time on something and swing and miss, talk to your players. Like go to that player and say like, "Hey, I designed this for you, um, but it doesn't seem like your character wants it. What is what's your character interested in? I really want to come up with something that your character would use. Um, what do you feel like your character would would be interested in?" And you can kind of collaborate with your players to say, like, oh, well, uh, I mean, like, he wants a two-handed maul or, like, uh, you know, she doesn't like using weapons at all. So do you have something that would function as a weapon but isn't a weapon, actually? Stuff like that. Um, okay, cursed magic items. What are your guys' yeah. takes on cursed ones? Because I feel like one of our campaigns has a pretty cursed item that we've passed around the Stone of Galore. Um, and so that's been a big factor in, I mean, it's a very powerful item, but um, I want to hear your thoughts. You're both of you guys. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'll, I'll just j- jump in and share some thoughts and then I, I swear I will leave room for you, Isaac. Uh, and I, I, I think that's I feel like interesting. I've been, I feel like I've been talking this whole time. Go for it. I think you're good. Uh, I like listening to your voice, but we're also married. So, um, so the funny thing about the Stone of Galore is it's not technically cursed. It's just like a super dangerous sort of evil item, if you will. Um, I think that that's kind of subjective, but it just like has a lot of um, power to do not so good. Uh, and then we do have some cursed items within the group, including um, the Trader's Gauntlets, which was an item that I took from uh, Griffin's Saddlebag, which so good those magic items are so much fun although they do tend to get long really wordy and long a lot of contingencies so i like to kind of trim it down to like what's the core component that i think is fun just pick those pieces um because then it's kind of a little bit easier to wrap your brain around and then maybe it evolves as you go as the player works with it and it has all these other abilities too but like when you drop something with that much i mean it's like three cards worth of text sometimes and it's like this is a lot bud like this is a lot to get through the players aren't going to read it and they're just going to be like i'm overwhelmed by this item i'm not going to use it so i try to do things kind of little by little but the 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 traitor's gauntlets were a great example of like a cursed item the player um had you know another character identify it uh identify does not uh rules is written identify does not reveal a curse but may indicate that there is something more nefarious happening with the item um, I think that that's an official Jeremy Crawford uh, ruling from like a tweet. Uh, I don't think it's actually in the handbook. So he knew it was cursed. He rolled with it anyway, put them on. And then he's just been rolling around with these cursed gauntlets that make him not trust anybody, which was like kind of playing into the character they had anyway. Uh, and I, I just think that's really funny because then he ends up with these like, you know, in these clutch moments, he's on a rock uh in the air you know next to the airship that the party is is flying and another party member reaches out to help him and i force him to make a wisdom save because the cursed item makes him not want to trust other people so 
you know, in this moment, does he recognize this is his friend or in this dire situation, is he suddenly going to give in to the traitor's gauntlets and think maybe these people are out to get me? He rolled like a one on the wisdom save. And I was like, he's got wings. It's not like this is not a lethal consequence. He's going to be OK. Um, so I just said, like, it looks like he's trying to shove you to your death um and had like you know we had this big long description that went with it uh and the player loved it but then again that is that player enjoys that style of thing i know other players would rather collect all the magic items to be the best at what they do so it's kind of it really depends on the player and it's a lot of communication isaac cursed items hit us so yeah i think i think that how you play with cursed items depends on understanding your own playstyle as a DM and understanding what your characters want out of the campaign. Um, this is a, a, just a lot of communication uh, and and learning about your players and what they're interested in because I, I use almost no cursed items. Um, I think it's pretty hard to kind of organically introduce, let me correct that, it's pretty hard for me to organically introduce a cursed item without it being obviously cursed. Which is sometimes part of the charm is that like, oh, yeah, this axe is, you know, jet black and dripping with the blood of long since long since slain enemies. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not good. Um, But yeah, I think it's a little bit hard to kind of sneak them in. And uh, I I don't really want to sneak them in because I don't want to gotcha my players. Yeah, Um, I'm a firm firm believer of D&D is a collaborative story playing storytelling game. Um, and it is not a ranked competitive competition between the the DM and the players. And I don't win if I if I screw over one of my players. Um, I win if everyone's having fun. So including you, including me, everyone is having fun. And so I don't I don't use any cursed items. I don't think I've used in, any cursed items. Um but I, I'm not necessarily against it. And of course, I, I I know for a fact there are lots of parties that would get a kick out of playing with cursed items. Um, and uh, I think that the best use for a cursed item would be as something bigger than just kind of a one-off um, joke or kind of a one-off beat. Um, I think that uh, the Stone of Galore is a great example, although it is also technically not really cursed. It's just an item. Yeah inhabited by an evil creature but um i i think that something that that drives your story as a cursed item is the best use of a cursed item um you know have something if you if you as a dm need your players to focus on a specific location have you know a cursed item with some like pretty serious consequences pop up um and uh you know immediately introduce them to a way to uh, clearly identify that they need to go to this area to remove the cursed item. And that's even a, a better way uh, to offer up a, a reward in kind of two parts. So have a cursed item that has a great benefit and a great detriment um, and uh, drive your players to this piece of the story that then removes the curse. And then the item is even better than it was before and as a, has a way of giving them the item early on um, but balancing it so that they don't actually get the full benefit until after they've earned it, quote unquote. But after they've completed the quest um, and they've received the reward of this item is no longer cursed. 
I like that. I really like that because then that definitely drives your story too. It's not just here's a cursed item, have fun. Yeah. It's it's like specifically. I like that. Yeah. Um, as far as like homebrewing versus taking, like you mentioned, Griffin Saddlebag. How many magic items have you taken, like from modules or just from? I know there's like legendary ones in all of D and D lore. I mean, how much? Yeah. How much you feel like percentage wise? How much you feel you homebrew versus just taking? Yeah, I think I think that we should do a quick aside to explain that Griffin Saddlebag is a resource that Moran and I use a ton. It is a it is a wonderful publication um, that uh, has an extensive amount of so homebrew magic items that are wonderful inspiration for um, for kind of making your own in your own home games um, and the the ones that they build out, as Morgan said, are often often have lengthy descriptions, but a lot of that is um, a kind of a decision when writing descriptions of magic items, which I don't think that we've actually touched on a whole lot. Um, I don't think they, they have add, time for that. No, but they add in a lot of flavor to their descriptions. Um, and and so I do think that that uh, extends it, but it, wonderful magic items. And sure. their artwork, they have that artwork with every That's magic item, good. so good. So Most no. of it is available to his Patreon, on his Patreon, to his patrons. But um, a lot of his items he releases on Inst, like I know Instagram, and mm -hmm. he uses them on Twitter mm -hmm. as well. I think That's it's great. just at Griffin Saddlebag, and he's got like, I mean, the thing is, if you're a patron, you get access to Ledger, the Ledger Plus platform, and you, there's like some sorting, and you can like save things for later. But pretty much everything I think has been available on his Instagram. Um, and they he did a Kickstarter last year, last June, I think. Uh, and there are like cards and like physical cards that go with everything, which is really cool, but they are like a little bit hard to navigate, especially compared to how easy Ledger Plus is. But um shares them on Instagram and you can just like check it out, look at the art, uh, get some inspiration, which is really cool. Although, you know, if your players are on Instagram too and you like an item, they're uh, probably gonna see it. Um, so I will caution, like it's really hard to not like the things that I'm hoping to implement in a campaign. Uh, to answer your previous question though, Sarah, I don't know that I could quantify. I would say that a lot of my homebrew is so intertangled with inspiration from Griffin Saddlebag. Um, I pick so many onesie twosies. You guys have so many magic items in the campaign that I'm running. Like just the volume is staggering um, because I think magic items are super fun. I think they're really entertaining and I usually pick kind of smaller onesie twosies that aren't going to like change the course of time and space. Every once in a while I throw in like amulet of the planes, like good luck. <laughs> hope your, hope your intelligence is high. Um, but for the most part, it's like, you know, here's the ring of roses and with it, you can summon, you know, a long stem rose to hand to anybody. And I just think that that stuff's really entertaining. Like that's just really fun. Um, so, so was that say, is Ring of Roses homebrew? Or yeah, that just... uh, no, that's uh, Griffin Saddlebag. That's why I ended up with it twice in the. I gave it to you guys twice on accident because I had forgotten that I'd given it to somebody, but I had it bookmarked because I was like, oh, this would be a fun reward at a quest, and I like got to a point where you guys were like, well, what's in the box? And I was like, it's a ring. It looks like it'll make roses. And somebody else was like, I have one of those. I'm like, yeah, it's a common magic item. So you found it here again. <laughs> that was great. That was great chaotic but like i uh you just kind of have to like 
roll with it. And sometimes you guys will end up in a place, again, being such a um, such an ad lib forward, such an improv forward DM. I do end up in a lot of situations that I've put in, like, did this to myself, uh, where you guys are investigating a situation from an angle that I didn't expect or looking into something that I didn't think you were going to look into. And all of a sudden I'm like, but there has to be something in the box, right? Like, you guys are looking... Like, this is a noble woman who's been kept captive by the succubus. Uh, like, something needs to be in her possessions. Is it just, like, a dozen platinum rings? That's stupid. Like, throw some magic stuff in there. Yeah, there's something magic. It looks like, and I'm, like, scrolling through the page like a little goblin, uh, a ring. Yeah, this is the ring. So sometimes we end up with duplicates or just sort of random stuff. And sometimes the ramifications are a little more severe. Like, sometimes I pick something and I'm like, whoops, that was not what I had hoped to give you but here we are yeah. yeah i would say i would say i'm probably about half and half uh homebrew versus uh rules as written kind of uh standard items um but i think a lot of that stems from the fact that in my campaign i'm running uh i'm running dragon of ice fire peak and so i'm running a mod a firm module um but i've gone off script a whole lot on this one and added in a whole lot of my own homebrew story uh and uh so that's kind of where i've introduced the homebrew items but um the party is still getting all most of this the standard items from the the module as well so it's been a pretty good mix um i i feel like speaking of cursed items i do want to circle back to um there was one magic item that i think is like the most fun thing that we've done uh, in the campaign I'm running, which was the bard, specifically at Kyle's character. If you listen to Chaos as a Tool, you know our dear friend Kyle, uh, who his character wanted a baby mimic. He thought it was really funny, and he started texting me one day. I want, I want Sanka to find a baby mimic. I want to, I want to take in a baby mimic, and I want to love him. And I'm, gonna, I'm like, why do you, why do you want a mimic? Well, he wanted something that could absorb enemies, so that maybe he could like you know get away with some crime that you know wasn't on the up and up and i was like okay i think he also liked the idea of it shape-shifting so i was like okay what can i get with these two things that like i don't really want to deal with a mimic in the party that seems like a lot of work but what works with his story so then he starts asking around in town and i sort of improv in the moment was just like oh it'll be really expensive and he's like we've got money we've got money we just uh, you know, we're on our way to the Vault of Dragons, or maybe you guys had just come from the Vault of Dragons, and he was like, we're rolling in it, we're gonna be fine, I can I can pay any price. And I was like, well, then it shouldn't be gold. So I asked if he was willing to trade a limb or like a hand. So like, this is gonna cost your left hand, or it's gonna cost a hand, you need to pick which one. Um, And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Because he's a super chaotic player. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So I want to propel his story for- further with this item that he's leaning into. Uh, and ended up, um, he holds his hand out. The shopkeeper pulls out a dagger. And instead of cutting off his hand as he's expecting, um, she puts the dagger in his hand. It sucks to his hand. And then we ended up with Sammy Nix, which was an anagram for Senka's Mimic. Um, and it was a dagger that like his hand was stuck around the dagger and he couldn't set it down until he evolved with the item. It had a voice and it had a whole backstory and it was doing a fake voice. And then he learned it was actually a person he knew in the Feywild. And that person has become a sidekick. Like it's been like a whole arc all because he was like really, really pointedly requesting this magic item of, um, a baby mimic. 
Uh, and it's just really cool because when you like yes and and like lean into stuff like that, you can end up with like the most interesting like side arcs in your story. And like, I just think I don't think I would have had a way to come in with that character before. But because the player was like really adamant and really wanted something, I was able to like give him an item that did what he wanted. So in the beginning, he was able to absorb the bodies of enemies and he became stronger from it. And uh, ultimately propel his story forward. And I just think that that's like the right way not to like, good job, Morgan. But um, yeah, I just think like that's a really fun way to do it. I don't think I always go that well, but like just like pick something that works with what the player wants and moves the story forward in a way that's satisfactory to everybody. And it was, uh, haha, it's a cursed item, but it's not a cursed item. It's someone that's cursed to be an item. Mm. It's a person who's cursed to be an item. Yeah, that was actually, I would do that again. I think person cursed to be an item is hilarious because how do you not sympathize with that? Yeah. So how about top three magic items you think every adventuring party should have? We could do top five, but I feel like three might be easier. Ooh. Ooh, that's tough. What's the what's the criteria here? You, just yeah. that everyone like, should have like usefulness. Like you are starting a campaign. They're all level yeah. three. They have nothing. Yeah. What are like three magic items you want to make sure they have pretty quickly? Well, my my first instinct is always the immovable rod. Uh, Sarah, you you express some woes to receiving an immovable rod, but you can do the the uses of an immovable rod are not spelled out on the item sheet the uses for an immovable rod are whatever you can come up with to do with an immovable rod you can you know stick it inside a toilet against a plate and then someone tries to take a shit and they can't or you can you know as uh to to cite the uh ever popular critical role you can teleport you can dimension door into a dragon and then click the immovable rod and just see how much damage it does as the dragon is flying um, and so immovable rod comes to mind okay. as, as my, as one of my first ones, Morgan. Good rules is written option. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that something that does, this is a double-edged sword, something that does some emergency healing, um, I think is something that all parties should have. This is tough because you have to scale it based on the party, the existing structure of the group. And I think that we should come back to this more because, Sarah, I have a question about this. But I think something that can do some healing, whether it's um, something that can instantly stabilize a person without a check or give someone one hit point or uh, keep someone from falling unconscious. I think something like that is nice, even if it's just something as simple as a dozen healing or like a handful of healing potions, dozens a lot. Um, Like one to three healing potions, I think, is like a classic magic item that everyone should have. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, my next one would be, I don't know. I feel, I feel like the, the pillars of, of things that people are looking for are like enhanced communication of somehow enhanced transportation and enhanced storage. So, uh, I think the, that Heward's handy haversack is like pretty high up on my list, um, because it's a, a bulky pack that functions similarly to a bag of holding, but it can't quite hold as much as a bag of holding. And you've got to like specify which pouch it's in. So it makes your characters think a little bit more without having to worry too much, especially if you're not tracking encumbrance. Um, it can be a nice way of adding role play to that hand wave of just, I put it into the sack. Um, 
and so I think my my second vote is tied between a Heward's Handy Haversack and something like Sending Stones or or some short form of, form of telepathy is always fine because people are always going to use that, uh, especially if uh, it's uh, something that gives telepathy to unwilling creatures because then your players can just fuck with NPCs and they, and they will. Absolutely. What are the limitations on the Haversack? I haven't heard of this one. Like what, yeah, is what are the limitations on the haversack? This is believe- the item that Jester had in campaign two. The, yeah. Her pink bag was a handy haversack and they called yeah. it the haversack. Um, it's a lot like a bag of holding. It just has a smaller, um, it can hold less. And uh, the pockets are really interesting. It's just the fact that you have to subdivide everything and anything you put in there has to fit into the mouth of whatever the pouch is. And that does kind of limit you a little bit. Yeah, it's got it's got three pouches. It's got two side pouches and a central pouch. Um, the each side pouch can hold twenty pounds uh, or two cubic volume or two cubic feet, and the central pouch can hold eighty pounds or eight cubic cubic feet. Okay. Um, okay. So I I think the the bag of holding is much larger than that. Uh, the bag of holding is fifteen total. Maybe they're really similar. They're very similar, but the the haversack is a backpack sized pack. Um, so you still have to like carry it around and stuff uh, and you can strap stuff to it. And obviously, but yeah, so that, that's what, that's what the haversack is. That's a good one. I think sending stones are fun. I made um, sending stones. You get, you know, one use per day and you have to leave the other stone with someone uh, in order to communicate with them once per day. One thing I did because a lot of parties end up, like our party is a great example of this. Um, a lot of parties end up with both stones within the party and like, then what good <laughs> is that? Like if we get separated, cool. Um, but one thing I did that I really enjoyed was uh, two of the players during Waterdeep Dragon Heist joined the Harper's Guild and they were really excited about it, but we weren't really pursuing any of the Harper quests. You guys were leaving town. Everything was moving on. But I really wanted to reward the fact that they were like just super invested in this uh, subplot. So I ended up making them custom magic items that were like their cloak of spy something like cloak of spies eyes. I think I just like I give everything stupid names. Um, And when they flipped their little hoods up, it gave them the ability to cast message back and forth. So they're both characters who can fly and they would fly out separately or one would be on the ground and one would be in the air uh, and they would cast message back and forth just between the two cloaks, like little walkie talkies. They use the heck out of that and talk about like not overpowered, like a, like what a it's a simple super simple item makes the players feel really cool they're like oh i have to put my hood up and say spy mode activated which i just like making them do dumb stuff uh they put the hood up and say spy mode activated and then they can like message back and forth between the two cloaks and that's just like really entertaining and like half the time they just use it to talk shit about the rest of the party it's been great for role playing honestly yeah it's been great um i stand corrected uh hilariously corrected 500 pounds, I remember to five. 500 pounds or 64 cubic feet. For the, for the bag of holding. Bag of bag holding. Of holding. Yeah. So bag of holding is way bigger. But way bigger. it's a it's a different rarity. So yeah. so my my last choice is actually my first choice. Because I completely forgot about this. This is the best item I have ever found. It is on Griffin's saddlebag. I have not altered it whatsoever. It's called the Camper's Respite. Mm. The Camper's Respite is essentially a torch with an iron brazier strapped to the top. Um, 
And uh, when you flip it upside down, um, it turns into a tent that on the outside is five feet by five feet. And on the inside is 15 feet by 15 feet. And it has a whole bunch of rules that specify that it's, you know, uh, it's always warm and dry on the inside. There's an ever burning um, fire in, in like a fireplace. Uh, and all the smoke is sucked up by a, uh, a, a, chim a metal chimney above it that looks like the brazier on top of the torch in its torch form. And it, uh, you know, produces no smoke within the, the tent. And the tent has, you know, uh, hit points and AC and it doesn't block sound. It's not it's not a Leoman's tiny hut. No, it's not going to save you from anything. But just giving the party this tent that they always can go into and always be dry um, in Dragon of Icefire Peak, I'm running it as raining all the time Constantly. because there's a constant thunderstorm overhead. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And uh, the the Camarillo Desperate has been, I, I think, very well received as yeah, a very fun. If you will. Yes. Yeah. And that's another one that's it doesn't feel overpowered. It doesn't feel no. like we have an advantage with anything. It doesn't no. feel like, yeah. And it's another great item because we all share it too. And I just love that. Like the bag of holding in a lot of parties, not all, but a lot of them, everybody shares. They just put it in the bag of holding. We're all going to collectively share what we find. And so the tent has been great because we all, we all share it. And I also feel like, you know, when you're adventuring, you're on the road so often and it it doesn't you're always like not in such a hurry to get where you're going because you have this nice place you can stay and um it's, it's been great yeah that's definitely a good one yeah so sarah i have a question for you as we're talking about magic items i want to talk about the player perspective because sometimes dms create magic items based on the uh structure of the party uh for instance uh party that we are familiar with uh that we play on tuesdays um didn't have a cleric didn't have a healer um so the dm created a tool a magic item that the monk has been carrying around that heals um it does 3d 12 healing which is so much it is a lot um, yeah and when that item first came out because now i'm playing a cleric in that party and we um uh that item came about before i was in the group uh, this time around and there was a moment of like but i'm the healer how dare you and it made me think like gosh but this item was created when i wasn't with the group when they didn't have a cleric who was healing them because they had a cleric you guys had a cleric who was like i don't know he's busy being moody because it's a kyle character and i love it um so it made me think about like from a player perspective when you have healing is a perfect example because we also run into this in dragon's fight for peak where i've got staff and you've got ruby and there's a healing kind of overlap not competition but like there is some friction where it's like are you using this am i saving my spell slots or are you saving your spell slots you have to kind of communicate a little bit but i'm wondering from your perspective as a player when a new magic item is introduced and brought into the party when do you feel like it steps on your uh, your class ability toes or have you ever felt that before i i mean there's definitely like you were mentioning if a party member goes down and playing ruby i've reserved some spell slots to do healing and i see saf your character run over there do a quick healing i'm like oh well i need to do something else now 
but it's never felt like it's stepped on my toes. It's it's always been like, I'm glad to have supporting healing because now I can do something else like a fireball. fireball. So, um, <laughs> fireball. Um, I honestly, from a player perspective, and this is just me, whenever we come across something cool uh, that we're pretty sure is magical and then we detect it and find out it's magical, I instantly am just thinking, who would fit the best with this? It's never... I need, I need, like, that's just, I mean, that's just not me. Um, but I'm just like, would you like this? And then, oh, you don't? Okay, I guess I can keep it for a while. But I really like the idea that I could keep it for a while and then pass it to another member if they need it um, or back and forth. I like that. Um, obviously, there's times like when you have to attune. Um, but there's, there hasn't come up that there's been something just super cool that I wish I had um, that another player had because I mean, part of it is, again, you get to see the other player use this cool item. Um, and partly, too, because you guys, again, when you're making these magic items that you give to us, it's usually like they're kind of specific. Like you can kind of tell like, oh, yeah, that person needs that. And um, it's it, it feels that way. Um, yeah, there really hasn't. I mean, I, I, I suppose if like... Um, I would feel more threatened if you brought in like an NPC that was a way better healer. Ooh, okay. um, that would probably be like, okay, what's my purpose now if this person's a level 15 cleric or something? Like, I that would be hard. That would be hard. More than probably a magic item. So, yeah, that's just my take. Interesting. <laughs> what about you, Isaac? Do you feel like when either as a player or as a DM kind of creating magic items, I know we talk a lot about like, how do I do this in a way that doesn't step on any toes? Uh, I know that you're very cautious of it and I kind of throw caution to the wind sometimes and then have to retcon when I need. Uh, you know, what are some of the things that you're keeping in mind? Um, what do you consider to be stepping on toes? Or when you're picking spells, you know, how is uh, not stepping on toes part of the way you're going through that spell selection? Yeah, I think the I think the spell selection is probably a much much larger conversation, uh, but uh, I I definitely think that I probably put a little bit too much weight into making sure that um, you know from the DM's side I'm giving out a a balanced spread of magic items, and if someone is fulfilling a a role or a kind of a niche. Um, using their class abilities, um, I try and avoid fulfilling that niche with a magic item. Um, unless they have specifically expressed to me like, oh, I hate I hate healing people as the as the cleric, um, which I, I have not heard from my cleric. I hear that she only wants to heal, heal people. So um, so yeah, I uh, I'm probably a little bit uh, overly cautious. But yeah, I feel it's important. I mean, your players are playing their characters. And the main thing that you want to do when you're playing a character is feel cool. I mean, like, you want to you wanna be a badass. You want to be the best at what your character does. Because um, that's, that's, at least in my opinion, and from what I understand, that's the most fun thing about D&D. It's like when you're, when you're doing something cool, when you're doing something good. And of course, it needs to be balanced out by, you know, failing and slipping and hitting your head on chunk of ice or something but from the the items perspective from the item creation perspective 
Um, yeah, if something is already fulfilling, being fulfilled as a role from a um, player character, uh, I'll avoid that or make sure that 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 player character is the best at doing that thing. Best yeah. at, that's a great way of saying it. Like, for example, Ruby having the sending spell, you know, mm-hmm. giving our party, you know, something so another character could do like way more sending than her. That would be that would be kind of tough. I mean, I would be kind of OK with it, but it's kind of like, that's my thing. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, you do kind of have to be cautious about like who, who needs what. But you can't give it to another character because your character has already had to deliver. Like my, okay, at least I know that she didn't get dumped, but like my character thinks that she got dumped via sending, and like I don't think that we would trust anyone other than your sweet little cleric to deliver that message. Dumped via sending. And another character was the intermediary doing yeah, the sending, which was a <laughs> hilarious and fun RP opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was great. So, yeah. so funny. Yeah. I would never, I would never take something like, I would be cautious of taking something like that away from the, from a player. Um, if I needed to introduce something for long-term or, or long distance communication, um, I would do something that's much more limited. Like a, a sending stone is a great example. Um, and I'd probably have the second stone specifically held by uh, a niche NPC that the party needed to communicate or um, uh, something that was much more limited. I think the sending stone is a pretty good example of, of how to limit uh, uh, what is a class ability, uh, a spell, essentially, because it's once a day and the other person has to have that rock. I mean, <laughs> you guys do have sending stones. And, we do. And, and I don't think yeah. that those have ever stepped on Ruby's toes. Nope, they haven't. I think they're with the blacksmith guy, right? Nope, no, we, we took them back. Seth oh, and Ollie t- have them. But, like, we have, we kept, we keep, like, leaving one with the blacksmith and, like, hey, man. Well, actually, this is, like, one of my favorite, like, connections of mechanics. We left Ascending Stone with the blacksmith. And then when the, uh, he's an Eldritch Knight, right? The, when the fighter, yeah. when the Eldritch Knight's weapon was done, it was his bound weapon. So when he gets the, like, hey, all clear, your weapon's clear, your weapon's done, he, like, summons it. Because you can summon it from anywhere, and then like, blink, done. So yeah. we, he was able to like run into battle with his brand spanking new weapon, uh, and that was just like such a fun interaction of those items. It was, it really was, and it made him feel cool because he looked cool. It was cool. Well, Isaac, it's been <laughs> magical uh, having you here with us. Um, Thank you. Oh, we love it um thank you for joining us and as always sarah i just it's great to talk to you and uh hey thanks for introducing me to your brother wait it was the other way around right your brother introduced me to you well hmm, i'll rewrite history thank you all for joining us today uh and you know we hope that um you're gonna take this inspiration and go out and like i don't know maybe make some cool magic items that um just make your players feel like badasses because they kind of are you guys are really cool, so keep it up. We are out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. So get out there and roll some dice and tell some stories, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Out of Initiative, a podcast from Merely NPCs. For more from Sarah and Morgan, visit MerelyNPCs.com or follow them on Instagram at MerelyNPCs.